Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Yo, we're back and we're ready to attack. We thirst for the track. Throw dirt on the mat when I scrap like Neo with a mic in my hand. Never lying like Leo, but I'm August. Shine like stardust. Every time that I bust, haters all duck. All shucks, no trust when you're sovereign with the buck. When Fiat gets deleted, see me backing up the truck. Tip the scales when I rip. Telling tales from the crypt. Keep the whales at my hip when I sail on my ship. Flip a couple coins when I chop like Harvey Dent. Or chilling with my boy, talking shop with Marty Bent. Every argument, bring the heat to debate. Say the seat with the greats, bring the heat to the tape. In the street with the cape, cause I'm here for the win. The rap is TSA and we're cleared to begin. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. Marty Bent from Tales from the Crypt, Rabbit Hole Recap, and 1031 is our guest. I talked with Marty on set at PubKey about Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, and a bunch of other interesting issues. It's a great conversation you won't want to miss. And we'll check in with our good friend Bimnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets. But before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. I'm excited for this one. Um, as I said, the interview with Marty, we did at PubKey NYC. So you'll see a different set there uh, when we roll that. But let's get right into the show. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, great Thanks to have you. Thanks for having me. So um, we've had a little bit of a recovery. You can see over my shoulder here on the block clock from, I guess, a little bit in doldrums. But again, mm. still in the channel, Bitcoin volatility has been like almost at historic lows. Yep. Um, it, it seems like, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of data. What, what's going on in the in the markets these days? Um, I think in, in crypto, it's just been sort of like uh, a malaise um, just as a function of an absence of catalysts, right? You know, we had the Ripple stuff a couple of weeks ago, the, those those court cases. Yeah. Um, but ETF stuff was it, now at this point like almost two months ago. Correct. And so it just kind of feels like a waiting game in crypto. Um, and then, you know, risk markets, you know, more, more broadly haven't fared too poorly or too great, uh, to be honest with you. Um, SP's down, you know, almost a percent today. And, you know, we've had a couple large tech names that have really underperformed, mm. um, but it doesn't seem like we're on the precipice of like, you know, a big sell off or anything like that. Um, the real story, you know, that is at least attracted my interest a lot is on the on the fixed income side. That's what you said US. last week. You mm-hmm. gave us some of the stuff about the, the um, long end of the yes. curve. The, so the long end of the curve, you know, we've sustained above 4% on, on the 30-year for, for a little bit now. I think 30-year yields are hovering around like 418 right now. So can, can you break down just for our audience mm-hmm. what that really tells you, right? I mean, we're talking about long dated issuance, right? Yes. So long-term bond, 30-year bonds. 30-year bonds. Right? Like yeah. That's that's buying U.S. debt that doesn't mature for 30 years, right? Correct. So theoretically, if you're very bullish on like long-term U.S. debt, having debt, paying its debt, being a good economy in 30 years, et cetera, right? You you could hold that for a long time. You would feel that. Well, But so people, when the when the rates go up, means there's less demand for it. What, what exactly is, what, what is this telling you? Is there any, um, is it a comment? Is it purely it's structural? It's a com- combination of a lot of things. Or is it a, a comment on, you know, the it's, United States' 30-year prospects? I mean. Well, I would just treat it as a, a market like anything else, right? It's just a, another asset. And so, you know, what moves an asset? It's like buyers and sellers. And I'd tell you that there is an absence of buyers right now, and it's pretty uh, meaningful. And there's an absence of buyers, uh, one, because central banks are pulling back and actually tightening their balance sheets rather than expanding them. So they're buying less of it. They're Yes, right. correct. Right. And they're, they're, they're big buyers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think foreign appetite has waned a, a little bit as well, um, just because foreign central banks are doing the same thing. Um, in addition, just functionally, um, the front end has gotten more attractive. Uh, on a relative basis, because you know we've jacked up front rates end are interest higher, rates, yeah. and you don't have to take duration risk right. there. And so, um, and then you know, I, I think another element of it is also just uncertainty around inflation, right? Like going out thirty years, there's a high degree of variability um, to, to fixed income, 
uh, and inflation expectations and where inflation realizes over that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you require a higher term premium right. um, in theory. And so I think the market is just repricing that part of the curve um, in the context of inflation, which, I mean, it could, re- could really start going back up again. Right. I mean, that's, so the big story this week is you've got CPI on Thursday. Right. Right. And headline CPI is expected to come in in the low threes and core CPI is expected to come in uh, mid to high fours. Right. Uh, but when you look at things like energy markets, right, crude just popped $84 a barrel. Like Nat Gas has, has started to pop off in, you know, yeah. in Europe, right. you know, as, as, as one example. Um, and so there, there are clearly upside risks to inflation still, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly in the context of a labor market that's just so tight at three and a half percent unemployment. I was right? showing this. I said this to somebody and, um, you know, that I'm, I was explaining that what I think is a pretty wide consensus that, you're, that you've articulated plenty, which is that unemployment is good. Like CPIs come down, of course, and go back up. But like, you know, the, the, so, the, the idea that the soft landing is possible. Right. And even probably the more likely of the scenario when you look at everything right now and they were like, yeah, but like you can't use unemployment because like if you look at the actual numbers of people searching for jobs, it's worse. And I'm like, so I did that. It's not worse. The the yes, the labor force participation rate on balance is lower than it has been in a long time. But if you yeah. take out those the elderly, yeah, if you look at exactly. 25 to 54, it's near all time highs. Yeah, that participation. So people are working. I mean, it's people a, are working. Yeah. And the problem is they're actually the wages are keeping up or that, you know, there's right. Wage so they're pressure. working and they're making they're making more money. Correct. Wages, wages are going up, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, it is interesting. And it's, yeah. Unless you have that like, come off and in some way, like it's going to be tough to tackle inflation. Right. And my other point to that is like, you know, stocks have come off a little bit, but who's really going to lay off like 10% of their workforce if their stock price is like close down a couple to, percent yeah. or, or, or like super close to all time highs. Right. I mean, I, yeah, like even, uh, you know, like, like we were talking about the, there were some big tech names and, yeah. and equities like last Friday was a pretty big sell off. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, you know, it sell off from like all time high. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, yeah, it's like down wait, a couple wait, percent yeah. on one, from all time high. Yeah. Right. And you, need, so, you need more sustained uh, reductions there, too. Right. And, and, and it, the fear is that uh, if you ever looked at the, the the interest rate chart or the inflation from like the 70s and 80s when Paul Volcker was at the Fed, like, yeah, they they raised them and it came down a little bit and then they thought they were done. And then it like spiked back. They, had to, they went through multiple yep. attempts at curbing inflation back then. And that's obviously what the Fed is very weary of and, and doesn't want to have to do. It's why they're remaining hawkish. Right. Correct. Higher for longer is, is how they're putting it. And. You know, functionally, there, there are things that mean that the inflation number is going to continue to have upside risks because you're losing like really low numbers from a year right. ago now. Right. And so you're getting, you know, the, the opposite of, of base effect. Yeah. Or, yeah. Some base effects. Basically. Right. 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 Um, and so, you know, it makes things very tricky. Um, but I think ultimately, like what the Fed's, you know, left in terms of decisions is, you know, they basically have to stay higher for longer. Uh, and the question is, like, how high? Yeah. Right. And so do they hike rates one more time or do they feels pause? like they do? Right. Or maybe I guess I they, think they should. Well, they hike they last could justify time, so they, What? Maybe they pause again. Yeah, and hike well, again? I mean, the way I think about it is like, what are you really risking? You right? can always swoop in and cut. Like, well, yeah. Like, why wouldn't you if you're genuinely still worried? We, and we I personally, I'm like, some of these valuations and equities are just still, they still absurd. Seem, they still seem high. Still absurd. Yeah. And like some of the valuations in like privates, right. still still right. crazy. Nobody's really selling their homes. Like home prices have been fine. Where you're seeing weaknesses in things like, you know, used autos, which it's okay. It's not, you're right. it's not like the core of the economy. It matters. Yeah, but yeah it's it not, matters. But it's not, right. you know, it's not the end all if like, cars get cheaper <laughs> um, right 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 and so you know i i think it's a really weird spot and and the way i think about things is like really okay so let's say we're in this kind of economy for the next couple of years are terminal rates properly priced and so the way i think about terminal rates is like you know the end state of like what neutral is you know for the fed funds rate and right now market-based expectations have that around 3.3 percent so that's a 200 basis point cut from like peak peak terminal rates. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I still struggle with that idea because the U.S. economy looks like it is functioning just fine with 5% interest rates. 
And like, I know we've got these student loan things, you know, coming, et cetera. But I think this is a very feasible scenario where it's like 5% interest rates are just normal. They don't cause anything to like blow up at all. Which it makes sense. You hear, you know, it's like a, you yeah. had to walk bo- up, up, uphill both ways to school when I was a kid. But I hear the same, like, oh, we had to pay like 12, 13 percent, you know, yeah. depending on when your parents or grand- whoever yeah, saying exactly. this hypothetical thing to you. They've been high. They've been high in the past and the economy has functioned. Yeah. We just became very used to very I, low. I think particularly in the U.S. where folks are just so sheltered from high interest rates with respect to you know, having locked in a lot of fixed rate financing. Yep. Like the U.S. in particular can can really handle um, higher for longer. Right. You know, super well. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. It is a little bit of the doldrums of summer. Um, yeah. August for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's I know it's going to be an exciting fall too, but in crypto and in, in markets. In, Just give in me the an news. ETF. I'm yeah. not asking for much. <laughs> Our friend Bim Netabibi from Galaxy Trading, as always. Thanks for joining Galaxy Brains. Pleasure. Welcome to Marty Bent, our guest on Galaxy Brains on location here in Pubkey, New York. How you doing, Marty? Doing well. I actually listened to your last episode on the drive up here. Oh, did you really? Was that with uh, Harry Sudock? No, or, not uh, Harry. With Adam. Adam. The, the chain analysis guy. Yeah. Um, he does some weird stuff, dude. They're different than like a normal chain analysis company. Pig butchering seems pretty scary. That is wild, dude. They literally, <laughs> what a mean way of saying it, too. Because <laughs> they fatten up the pig. That's the idea. Um Dude, that guy, I always make fun of him and like say he's a spook. I mean, he works in like surveillance. Uh, good dude, though. I think um, you did good. You approached the spook question very, very appropriately. <laughs> like, you. there's a cypherpunk tinge of Bitcoiners that worry about the chain analysis. Have to ask the question. Yeah. Um, did you see the thing he said, too, about uh, there are fishing boats off the coast yeah. of South America mm-hmm. illegally fishing like rare? He, the example he used, he said, was like near extinct seahorses. And they also like when they come from China to do that fishing, they also bring illegal cargo. Which like they fentanyl. then use the digital yuan to sell. I was like, "What?" Yeah, I didn't realize because you mentioned that they're using the digital yuan off the coast of Ecuador, right? Yeah, and I didn't realize so it was that big. I know, me neither. And he said people like regular. I was like, "Are regular people then like circular economy trading with it?" And and he's like, "I, I don't know, but they're definitely buying and selling with the Chinese fishing boats with it." And I'm like, "What is what is the digital yuan running on?" I don't, I don't really know. No, no, I, I think I don't know. Yeah. It's not like on Ethereum. I don't know what it's on, but I don't. If that's true, and it, I believe him, and he also does work for like the U.S. government, like that dude, the the yuan is like making it into our hemisphere. Like that's like the urgency of solving that situation. If not with Bitcoin, then at least with the the dollar. Like get the dollar. I don't want to. I definitely don't want to end up with digital yuan. I'll keep the dollar over that. When thing. he was describing that, I was having like visions of its like reverse. Triffin's or Triffin's dilemma just playing yeah. out in a different era where they're like flooding other markets with yuan in an attempt to make it the reserve currency. I mean, do you flood it enough and put your goods there, start paying for stuff with it? Like yeah. build a bunch of that can work. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they did in Africa too with all their money in general, right? They created all this Chinese debt there by building out all that infrastructure, denominating it in, and then having them default. So it's fine. Either you owe us money in yuan or we own the infrastructure. Either way is good for China. It's the IMF playbook all over again. So um, let's talk about you, Marty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan of Marty's uh, podcast, Tales from the Crypt and Rabbit Hole Recap and a lot of the other stuff. Marty Ben, Marty's Ben. I've been been reading the Ben, I think, for like, can you see when people signed up? Probably you can. I could probably go back, yeah. I bet you I've been reading since at least 2018. And I think that it was, you started before then. When did you start that newsletter? June of 2017. So it just turned six. Yeah. So I was probably maybe like maybe a year in to it. I had started reading. I've been reading Marty's podcast for, I mean, um, newsletter for a long time. Anyway. I say this for our audience who may not know Marty. Um, Marty is a, a Bitcoin educator. Uh, you're in, I know you're involved in Bitcoin mining. You're a, you're a, um, a Bitcoin analyst. You've got something new too. I saw. Is it, you involved with Cretius on this? Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, yeah, I'm or, advising on ramp. On ramp. On ramp Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that, by the way? Just I don't even know. But I see that you guys have pretty cool podcast content. I've, I've, I've watched one of them. It was great. Yeah. So on ramp is a trust product. Uh, that allows you to get exposure to Bitcoin, but the custody of the Bitcoin is set up in a multi-institution, multi-sig cool. um, with on-ramp, BitGo, and Kingdom Trust. And you have the ability to take Bitcoin in kind. So the idea is that you can get exposure via a vehicle that people are familiar with and then have an on-chain sort of audit of yep. the Bitcoins actually sitting where uh, users think it is, lines up with the shares, and then... When you're ready to take custody of Bitcoin, you can 
take it in kind and not have a taxable event. So I really like that because I was thinking about like the, you know, Fidelity has the 401k thing and like, I'm like, I would love to buy Bitcoin and hold it long term in a tax advantaged way. But I'm like not clear yet if when I retire, like, dude, I want the Bitcoin. I don't want, I don't want you to make me sell it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not actually sure if that's possible. And, and certainly they haven't encountered that yet either, but no, that, I mean, that's definitely a, want that. Thomas and I were talking about that when we just recorded a TFTC episode before this, and we were talking about it in the context of the BlackRock ETF. And I think it was Bitcoin educators trying to teach people to get exposure to the space, which is something we did during COVID on yeah. a clubhouse. Like that was just in, like a, out. that was, it was part education, part support group, part <laughs> social club. I mean, that was a good time. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, but like in the context of the BlackRock ETF, a bunch of people are going to ape into this. Yeah. And if you read the docs, like only approved partners can take it in kind, which is going to be a very select group of right. broker dealers. And then you have to get it from the broker dealer. Right. Ensure that they're actually going to send you the Bitcoin at the end of the day, which I wouldn't put a high probability on. And so like with the suite of products out there, that's why I think OnRam's pretty well positioned because they've set up the custody in a very unique way where there's no unilateral control over the Bitcoin. And then they've ran into the docs that individuals can take the Bitcoin yeah. in kind. And with BlackRock, most people are just going to have to sell their shares, take the taxable event, and then right. buy back. Right. You have to hope that um, either Fidelity with its ETF or maybe the others like BlackRock's, that Fidelity could be one of those authorized participants that yeah. could actually receive the Bitcoin for you. I just mentioned that because they obviously they have the capability to send and receive and hold Bitcoin. That's one of their things. So you have to hope because, again, yeah, you don't want to do that. You just want to buy Bitcoin and then have Bitcoin. Yeah. And then you there's know, other products out there like uh, Unchained's IRA. They have right. an IRA where you can hold your Bitcoin in a multi-sig and you hold the keys. And yeah. So you do have control over that Bitcoin. That's what, yeah, that's one thing I'm very passionate about. And I think moving forward, we should really be beating the drum as creating this new standard that leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties to offer financial services that people are comfortable with in the incumbent uh, financial world but say hey like there's a new model here with bitcoin like you can give end users like better assurances over custody and control of the bitcoin at the end yeah of the it's not possible with other financial assets right so it's it is a it is a step function improvement um love stuff love basically love, i've i've loved everyone that i mean bitco is an early major multi-sig um all these great people came out of there also that do it like jameson and, and others right and then you have casa and unchained and on ramp and um, anchor watch right and, and yeah. it's just a great concept and, and it's extremely safe i actually when i i use some multi-sig products for uh some some of my bitcoin custody and, and i just don't keep the um backup phrases for those wallets like because there's other redundancies right i prefer that actually and rather than keeping the i don't like having to write down the seed phrase and know that that's literally that's a vulnerability now yeah <laughs> sitting there well that's what i think is great about the options that have come to market over the last five years, particularly as like optionality, like some people are yeah. comfortable securing seed phrases, some aren't. And that's what's really exciting right now is like these options are becoming yeah uh, available to the market. This is one thing, um, you know, I, I have to, and I, I have to look at the entirety of the cryptocurrency markets for the research that I conduct. And, and one area that's super interesting that where Bitcoin, one, one area, not certainly not the only one, but where Bitcoin's way advanced is on security, storage, hardware, mm -hmm. right? Because all the other like innovation happening, say in the Ethereum world, is is software basically, right? It's all coding. There's plenty of software development and innovation happening on Bitcoin too, but they, that's why all the people that get rugged on MetaMask, right? Like the entire concept of the way you do NFTs, if you want to use them in any way, like even as a Twitter profile picture, you basically have to keep it in a hot wallet. Um, and they're just not nearly as advanced with like whether it's multi-sig or collaborative custody or literal block clocks. Like there's just nothing like that out there anywhere but in Bitcoin. There's no. So much innovation on this side. And I think it highlights the what I would argue is the correct approach from the Bitcoin development community and the industry around it, which I I believe wholeheartedly that there's an order of operations that will lead to the inevitable success of these networks. I think I'm pretty confident that Bitcoin is going to win out in the long run. It's because it's focused on this order of operations. You need a distribution of full nodes, a geographic distribution of hash rate. You need these custody products. You need these primitives at the protocol layer that enable sort of robust security. Uh, and then on top of that, like recognizing like, okay, you're not going to be able to do everything on chain. Let's build layers on top of it yeah. to make everything possible. And 
I think what's happening with lightning, lightning uh, gets shit on a lot, part of my language, and has for the five years since it launched. But I I think if you're actually paying attention, uh, the state that it's currently in is a mature state where I think things are going to get really interesting with people being able to integrate lightning to their stacks. Yeah, I, I was. Um, I actually just saw. Let's talk about lightning because I know you're 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 pretty heavy lightning. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but as an aside too, I just got the demo on Fetty for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, our friend Harry Sudok is in the beta or something and, and showed me, and I was like, dude, I need to get in this beta. Absolutely phenomenal, fascinating. It's actually, it's basically DAOs, what they call DAOs in crypto. It's a mm-hmm. decentralized autonomous organization built on multi-sig and shared lightning channels. And it's incredibly interesting and powerful, totally beyond, I think, what the, the certainly the normies, the non, the total normies, but then even beyond what the crypto world actually thinks is possible on Bitcoin, it's going to really blow a lot of people away. Yeah, I mean, the, the scaling potential that Fediments bring to Bitcoin and then combining that with Lightning is extremely powerful. Yeah. Um, the like I've had access to the Fetty Alpha for some time, and down in, when we were in Nashville a few weeks ago, Cody Lowe from their team, uh, from the Fetty team, gave a demo, and it is I tested on mainnet for the first time, and it is like magic. Yeah, it's it's so good. It has encrypted chat too, and and a bunch of other crazy features. So on Lightning, like you know, when you say people shit on Lightning, why? What what have they been saying? And then, well, know, I think what, what do you think the reality is? I think uh, the criticism is being driven by either pure disingenuous like uh, argumentation or impatience and so like similar to bitcoin what bitcoin gets shit on a lot for is like oh it's not a store of value look at how volatile it is (laughs) like look at the concentration of mining pools whatever it may be and i think that's just completely asinine like to expect bitcoin to launch and to become a fully monetized store of value and yeah. perfect uh, value transfer network is just like the wrong way to look at this thing. Similarly with Lightning, it launched in March of 2018, and everybody expected it to be this robust, usable payments network out of the gate, um, which is similarly just insane to think that's going to happen. Yeah. And so the quote-unquote lack of lightning adoption since it launched five years ago has been used as like a point of criticism from people who are saying this is not working but if you actually again have been paying attention the development that's gone on with the different implementations the different development kits uh the wallet software it's finally i think reached a point a maturation where we're beginning to see it integrated into um into very important sectors of the economy, I think. Yeah. What Synode is doing to help miners pay utility companies and really reduce the final settlement risk and uh, the chargeback risk that utilities companies have is exciting. I mean, for the podcast, like Podcasting 2.0, I've been using that for two years now. Yeah, tell, tell us what that is. You use Fountain App, right? And um, what is this? Fountain is... So Fountain's one... Right. Way to use, I use that as my wallet for rabbit hole recap. TFTC, I run it through my own full node. But essentially, the idea is, and this is where I think like the Web 3.0 crowd is completely missing the ball, where they're like, we're just going to remake everything uh, in a distributed fashion on these blockchains with tokens and tokenomics. Where I think really the signal is combining open source money, Bitcoin, and the layered stack above it with other open source protocols. And so podcasting 2.0, that open source protocol combination is lightning bitcoin over the lightning network and rss Mm -hmm. which is how podcasts are distributed so in my rss feed what you can do now via podcasting 2.0 which was created by adam curry who originally invest uh um, he originally created podcasting back in the day with steve jobs and a couple others uh rss is essentially just html code and you can put information in their files and so what he did with podcasting 2.0 is allow you to put what's called a value block in your RSS feed, and that is a Lightning Network public address. So when I send all my podcasts out via RSS feed, I have my Lightning Network public addresses included in each individual theme. And as people listen to the podcast, they can download apps like Fountain, which double as a podcast player, but also has a Lightning wallet embedded in it. And as they listen, they can send me sats, either stream per minute listened or send me a tip. Yeah. in bulk like right over the lightning network it's truly peer-to-peer like for tftc 
I run my own lightning node and that's the public address and that RSS feed and people from around the world are listening to the podcast and just sending me Bitcoin straight to my node. It's crazy. You showed me your, your, uh, maybe it was your fountain. I can't remember. Actually, no, I think it wasn't found. You were going into your node. Yeah. And it's just like stream and stream and stream tons of inbound payments. So, I mean, the other thing here, I was thinking, I was telling somebody about th that, that you showed me this and how interesting this is and seeing whether we can get in our feed. I don't see why we couldn't. Oh, you um, easily could. Um, is whether I was like, so he's, you know, using it every day. And someone was like, well, is he using it? And I was like, well, look, he's receiving it at a minimum, but all, that's indicative of many, many other people using it every day. There's clearly a lot more usage, I think, on Lightning than people people think. They also say, um, they look at like the glass node chart of like, you know, uh, total channels and total capacity of those channels on public channels and say like, oh, it's only like, what, like 9,000 BTC? Like, that's nothing, you know, it's not like... 40 billion TVL in like a DeFi protocol, right? But the thing is, is like that DeFi TVL is pretty much inert, whereas this is working capital, right? And I remember I asked Jack Mallers once a while, years ago at this point, and he, I think he said it at the time that they were turning over like their entire capital stack like a couple, more than once a day. So like the true capacity is significantly more. Yeah, and that's, I think that's something that Lightning has a deal. Two things you just mentioned there. One, like lack of activity people point to well it's really driven by the fact that you really don't know how much activity is right. going on unless you but there's no blockchain it isn't public in no. that sense it's a private which is like a double-edged sword it's like hard to know the true activity but you also get like increased privacy and, yeah uh which is i think is a massive benefit and then on top of that yeah you could do like people typically compare lightning network channel capacity with bitcoin locked in DeFi. yeah but like on lightning you can do less you can do more with less like, yeah i think river just did some channel management and they took I saw a that. bunch of Bitcoin off the lightning network and people were freaking out like, Oh, people are using it less. Somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody someone decided, to, someone give up decided to give up and like Alex Leishman had to come out and be like, no, we're just doing channel management. We actually don't need this much Bitcoin to do everything we need to do. Yeah. Um, it is an extremely efficient thing, but it, it is, I think the other, one of the other criticisms, and I think this is improving a lot. Um, it's just that it's hard to operate. Right. And, and it isn't, I mean, I run a lightning node also. I use umbrella and like um, for a whole note of mine and and um it's not that hard but it isn't like you know mom can you know grandma can set it up easy um but and then you combine the channel management issues and liquidity management which you know because they're bi-directional payment channels it's not like it's not like always on money right you got to like do some management um but with like voltage and and um um david marcus's company the name is escaping a light spark right like there's a let alone like open node like there's a lot more like b2b infrastructure that's coming out that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, DZ as well. Like you yeah. can, um, they are basically setting up software that will do automatic channel management for you. And that's what I, actually I, I think, I agree, like grandmas aren't gonna run lightning nodes, but I do think I have this thesis that at scale, like individual companies are gonna run, wanna run their own nodes. They'll yeah. do that by a combination of hosting particular stuff in, in house and allocating some functions to companies like voltage dz light spark strike whatever it may be river um but you'll have like dedicated system admins in your company to manage the node like i think that'll be like a specialized job in the future yeah i think um do you think that there will be like to me i think people think worry about the centralization risk of the complexity and that a lot of companies will run it and then you know, let's say a lot of banks will run it and then basically like it's just like essentially custodial and and it isn't that terrible. And and of course, I don't think that's ideal if that's the majority. But I really think of this also for Bitcoin itself, like it, to me, it's about the optionality, right? Like you don't have the option to self custody large amounts of dollars today, right? Like you will as long as you always have that option to run your own lightning channel, run your own node, run, hold your store, your own keys, just like RFK went down the bullet points at, at Bitcoin 23, right? Um, to me, that's that's enough. I, I want to go and educate people to do that. But like, I don't think it hurts Bitcoin if a lot of people decide to use custody, as long as the rest of us don't have to if we don't want to. Yeah, as long as the option's there. And with Lightning, you always have the option to create like a sub-network of private channels. Right. And that's cool. always going to exist. All right, let's go back. I want to go back a little bit, Marty, because uh, you worked at Barstool. I remember you, you've told a story. Uh, I must have heard it on your podcast at some point. I know you've assuming that's where I heard the story about you having given Bitcoin to Dave Portnoy and others <laughs> back in the day, he, he lost the hardware wallet or something at the time. 
Um, how did you, first of all, how did you get to Barstool and how did you go from Barstool to Bitcoin stuff? I've, I've never actually asked you this question, but I'd love to, I'd love to know. So it's funny, the Bitcoin stuff, the newsletter led me to Barstool. Um, so I'm from Philadelphia and I graduated high school in 2009 and that was when Barstool Philly started. And so in high school I was obsessed with Barstool Philly Yeah. And through college, like as they grew, became more obsessed with like Barstool and then Dave is like sort of an innovator in the digital media landscape. Oh, yeah. And so fast forward to 2017, bull market was rearing up. My friends and family group knew me as the Bitcoin guy. I was getting text, emails, calls, like what the yeah. hell is going on? I was like, you know what? I'm going to start this newsletter. Um, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, just sign up to this mailing list. I'll teach you a little bit every day. And so that's how it started. It was like a friends and family like newsletter that I was just trying to educate them. And then I would share the post on Twitter and the list grew. Uh, and that summer, I believe it was like June. It was only like a month after the newsletter launched. I saw Lewis Roberts, who was working at Barstool at the time. He's one of the early employees tweeting about Bitcoin and crypto. And he was actually telling people to ape in <laughs> to Ethereum near like the all time highs and the ETH BTC yeah. um, trade pair. And I, I DM'd him. I was like, Hey, big Barstool fan. Like, I don't think you should be telling stories to ape into this at this particular time in the market. Like, here's <laughs> proof that I know what I'm talking about. Here's my newsletter. So that led to him reaching out to me to meet up. And uh, we actually met in Flatiron at the Smith uh, like a week later. And he was like, all right, what's going on here? And I sort of gave him my thesis on, on Bitcoin and um, what I was seeing in the space. And after that conversation, he was like, you need to start a podcast. And I was like, I... <laughs> I literally was like, I don't know how to do that. Can you help me? He was yeah. Like, yeah. And so like Lou was pivotal in my journey to where I am today. And so like, I didn't actually officially work till at Barstool until November of that year. But in that summer leading up to the launch of the podcast in August, uh, I would go to the Barstool office and just sit in the corner with Lou and talk about Bitcoin and start thinking about how we were going to launch the podcast. And so we launched the podcast, uh, in August of 2017, and I would essentially just sneak into the Barstool offices late at night, record, yeah. pulling Bitcoin developers. Wow. And then we posted, and at that time, I was unemployed. I was between jobs, and I was, like, just married, desperate. I was like, hey, like, can I actually get a job here to, like, make some money <laughs> on yeah. top of, yeah. uh, like, what I'm doing on the media side of things? And so, like, I, I joined on their podcast ad sales team um, in November yep. and did that. I was only there. Was, Dave would say like a cup of coffee. <laughs> I was there for like six months and then I joined Great America Mining. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was really weird coalescence of events and luckily me it's really fascinating. Having, uh, the balls to DM Lou and be like, hey, you shouldn't be giving this advice like led to the podcast. And I talk about this a lot like just shooting your shot like is, is an important part in life. People get they think, oh, no, the person's too busy or too famous or whatever. Or I'm too nervous. Like, you just really got to shoot your shot. Um, we got a guy in the, we got a guy in the in the room right now who shot his shot uh, sitting behind Secretary Janet Yellen one time, uh, Bitcoin sign guy over here with us uh, in the studio. Anyway, um, dude, I wanted to ask you, too, about mining. That's a good transition because I know you've been working in mining for a long time. Um, having is, what, not eight, nine months away. Mm -hmm. um, mining industry today is significantly different than the mining industry at the last halving. There's a lot of public companies. There's a ton of money. There's the hash rate. I don't know. We could look at the chart since 2020. It's probably tripled mm -hmm. at least maybe more. Yeah, I just like forget 75 X hash rate. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the like Brandon Bailey and, and Amanda and the mining team sim at galaxy are predicting possibly 500 X hash by the end of the year. They think base maybe 450 though. That's still an, a, a significant amount of increase. Like, how is the mining, what does mining look like to you today as an industry? And like, how are, are miners preparing for the having? Are they concerned? What is the issue? Like, how are they thinking about it? Yeah. So I think, I think we learned a lot of lessons during the last cycle, <laughs> um, particularly around like ASIC collateralized debt and yeah. treasury management near the, when, when things are ripping, like Thomas and I were talking about it. Like, I think there was some poor treasury management in the depths of the bear market last year where people could have scalped some Bitcoin off the top to bolster their balance sheets. Um, but fast forward to today, like I think coming off the back end of this bear market, like a lot of uh, miners are learning about debt management, um, capital allocation. I think that's 
really been driven home in the last two years. Like when you deploy capital, whether it be to build out infrastructure or acquire ASICs is extremely important. So trying to time uh, the markets and the prices of those particular assets um, Mm -hmm. is front of mind for everybody now, as opposed to fall, winter 2021, where everybody was uh, aping into like futures orders for XPs um, at extremely elevated prices. Right. Of course, when those XPs were delivered, there was like a recalibration of price and some credits offered, but it, it, a lot of people overpaid. Um, and so right now, nine months before the halving, uh, I think different miners are obviously in different positions. The ones that have older generation models with relatively elevated uh, electricity costs, let's say six, seven, eight cents, mm-hmm. are really thinking hard about, all right, what are we going to do? Uh, because when the halving comes and that subsidy gets cut in half, like we're we're not going to be profitable, right? And so I think there's uh, a mixture of things going on in the industry now. You have that uh, archetype of of a miner trying to figure out how they're going to prepare. Are they going to dump their ASICs, uh, try to time the market, and get a good ASIC price locked in, build some cash, and redeploy at some point in the future? There's probably going to be a lot of M and A going on here. I think consolidation between some miners. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, between now. In the end of the year, we'll begin to see the M&A uh, headlines become more prominent. And then you have another archetype of miner of like people who learn their lessons and have been deploying capital, buying ASICs over the last six months when they're extremely depressed. We've had energy prices coming down, so locking in longer-term PPAs are more favorable. Energy prices, and so I think there is a certain subsect of the industry that is setting themselves up pretty well to, to benefit. And nice. They, right now... For miners, like if your electricity cost is above five cents, let's say, I would say only buy top of the line ASICs yeah. and plug them in, yeah. especially if you're hosting. Yeah. Do you think, um, let me ask a couple of Bitcoin questions. I'd love to hear just your stance on what about the the security budget? <laughs> is, this, is this a concern long term? I don't think you? so. How does it get solved or, or is there something to solve? I don't think there's anything to solve. I think we're just, people like to LARP about it and point at um, activity on the chain and say this is a problem we got to fix it when you're really applying uh, bitcoin's historical usage to the future yeah. which i think is going to look completely different and i have a thesis that you can apply jevin's paradox to a bitcoin utxo which is jevin's paradox typically ap- applied to oil and gas is um the paradox is the more efficient you become with a resource, the more you use of it. And it's a paradox because you'd assume if you become more efficient with a resource, you'd use less of it. But as oil and gas industry has proven, as we figured out how to do things with different blends of, of oil, like we, we use more of it. And this is a good thing. It's made society much more productive and increased our quality of life. I think the same paradox can be applied to a UTXO. So as you enable things like Taproot, Segwit, the Lightning Network, Fediments, like these add utility to what you can do with a utxo and they make them more efficient the the optionality that you have with particular utxos and so as these things mature and as the macro tailwinds sort of push people into bitcoin like i think i'm I'm not worried about the quote-unquote security budget at all i think a utxo is going to be useful in many different ways and that demand is just going to be pretty evident um what about uh the ordinals and inscriptions i know a lot (laughs) of miners uh if they don't really like it they're at least benignly supportive because it's it has increased fees significantly um there is even today i was just looking i mean like it looks like the you know this is just one wallet estimation but i'm looking at 13 sats per v byte for the next block i mean that's we were at one sat per v byte for like over a year you recall like i mean that's that's better fees like so we know why miners would be fine with it. They, they're fine with anybody paying fees, right? But but what do you think in general about inscriptions and ordinals? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was reading a report earlier, like first six months of the year, fee revenue was like 8,700 Bitcoin, where same period last year was like 2,200. Right. So a significant increase in revenue as a miner. I don't mind it. When it comes to ordinals and inscriptions, I think it's an ephemeral uh, phase that will mm-hmm. get priced out by true economic activity. I Thomas and I just talked about this, but... Um, I think it's, I think NFTs are weak. Like, yeah, it's attempting to monetize memes. Totally. Which is against like the whole 
a concept of a meme. A meme that's is true. something that's supposed that to be is, like a public good, good you can point out and everybody intuitively understands. You're not actually supposed to know who even created or owned it. Actually, the best memes are just like, I don't know, it's a picture that somebody yeah. sent me. Yeah, so, that's an interesting point. I hadn't I, thought of it like that. I think it's a big clout chasing. Uh, yeah, there, well, and it just it's it's in such interesting conflict with what has been certainly, and I still think what is the core ethos for Bitcoin, which is that you know, and the project's goal, which is to build global decentralized non-sovereign money, right? Yeah. And then it's like we're going to do other stuff on it. I mean, I personally think it's I think it's fine. I don't think it's a threat. Yeah. I think you're right. I think the market, if it if the, look if the Bitcoiners don't want it, then it'll eventually not be profitable to do anything with it. Yeah, I, I will say I do like that there's a little bit more like weird experimentation that's happening from it. Um, I, I like that type of weird stuff. I don't actually, I actually, I don't, I own one inscription and it's my own avatar that I inscribed at 10,888 uh, 10, after I talked with Casey Rotomar back in February. Um, but I'm not really interested in trading digital collectibles personally, but um, no. it's a big market though, outside of Bitcoin, even, even though it's pretty down significantly right now, it's, it's actually still quite big. No, I agree. But, and again, it's, it's I was telling Thomas, maybe I'm just like the curmudgeon in the room. It's completely <laughs> uninteresting to me. Like. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, and okay. Um, we're, we should wrap in a minute. I think too, you got to get uptown and, uh, and I think we've been going, how long we've we been going for 30 minutes, maybe I got 15 feels minutes. like, okay, cool. Um, so what are you, what are you most excited for about Bitcoin right now? I mean, we, we, maybe it's something we've already talked about. Um, but if not, I mean, what, what do you like? Actually, you know what? Let me ask you about this, because this is one of the things I'm most excited about, is the park, the commons, the pub key, right? We're in pub key. We're upstairs in pub key, by the way. So our audience, I think many may have been to pub key or seen downstairs, the, the actual bar and restaurant. But um, I love these new physical community spaces that people are setting up. And they're not, it's not charity, right? These are no. functioning businesses that bring a lot of people together. Yeah, as Thomas likes to call them Bitcoin third places. No, yeah. I think they're incredibly useful. I mean, we were down at the park three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever yeah. it was. And like, I, you know, like the energy when you're in a room yeah, and focused with people who are on the front lines with you, like how are we going to solve this massive problem of making sure Bitcoin succeeds and that as many people as possible can use it. And I think the quality of conversation that happens at these third places is significantly better than what you'll see in mediums like Twitter or Reddit, whatever it may be. Um, and each has its own little twist to how they do it. Like pub key is very distinct from the park and the parks distinct from the commons. And right. there's different, different ways that, that we're attacking the same problems. Like, all right, how do we get Bitcoiners in a room to have quality conversations about what we're doing? And I, I also think it's just great to have these physical spaces for people who are coming through town. Yeah. It's like New York, Nashville, Austin, Miami's got the Grove now. And uh, it's great to have these places for people who may not be you know, confident enough to inject themselves in a conversation on Twitter or send a DM to, yeah. to basically ask these questions in person. It's just like a global rallying points. And it, it, I, it, I agree the physical community is, is an important part of any movement. And I always tell people, um, particularly institutional investors, when I'm trying to actually get them to really understand Bitcoin, aside from how it works and what its properties are and its value propositions, is like you, you have to understand like this is a global movement. Like you, you can own it as an as a financial asset if you choose, certainly, right? And I think there's there's upside there. But like we're out here, like there's a and that number of people is growing and it's grown so big now that multiple of these are are, are being supported in multiple cities. Yeah. It's not just meetup.com anymore. It's literal f nice physical spaces I mean, with conferences. Nashville has a whole goddamn campus. It's huge. It feels small. It still I love feels that small. place, dude. Hey, are you excited for – what are your thoughts on Bitcoin 24 moving from Miami to uh, Nashville? Well, we were just down there in, yeah. at the end of July. It was very It was humid. hot. Yeah. It was hot. Yeah. No, I'm excited though. Like I think yeah. Miami had its run. It was, it was good. Fun. It was. But like hopping from South Beach to Brickell, like all over, I think – well, I, that I agree with. I, I finally, this last time, made the point to really just stay in South Beach pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Pre previously, like, remember when it was in, um, when it was in, uh, what's it called? Uh, the, 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 like, art that, that. Yeah, it was in Brickell. Uh, I forget what it was called. Yeah, I forget what, what what's that? Winwood. It was in Winwood. It was it Mana Contemporary in Winwood, which is like this, um, like, warehouse district. 
um, in 2021, I think it was the first conference like globally that was like remotely of that size. I remember they were writing all those stories yeah, about yeah. it. Was People were like super eight hours in line. Like, yeah, and it was so hot and also kind of – and then you're like, oh, let's go out to South Beach. And you're like, that's a 45-minute drive from here. Um, Nashville, very different vibe. Um, not, you know, you go down um, Collins Ave in South Beach and it's just like hotel, 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 hotel. Every single one with a pool and a back bar. Nashville, I mean, we're going to take over that Broadway scene down there. Broadway? I'm excited to go to Santa's Pub. Is that going to be Pub Key uh, Nashville? Santa's Pub? No, he nixed me on that. No announcements. No announcements. All right. Um, We had a good time at Max Club Deuce as like Pub Key South Beach. Uh, It was good. Pub Key pop-up. Do you think that this is going to drive? Are are these spaces going to be able to bring in net new people? Or is it going to be more of like our sort of – our community club for bitcoiners that already exist i think it'll be a combination of both thomas and i were talking about this earlier like as pub key expands i think one thing about having pub key here right off of washington square park is that it's right near myu and then similarly at the park uh it's right between belmont and vanderbilt and then in austin obviously we're by ut and each place like i think the net new uh, entrance to Bitcoin are the university students that are like coming like what the hell's going on here? Or yeah, come to an event to get free food and maybe sneak a beer in. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's predominantly, if we're being honest with ourselves, like Bitcoiners, like aggregate. well, you know, you learn about Bitcoin maybe elsewhere, and then you got a place to go. I mean, I, I see people people come to PubKey that I that aren't even just like the bar. The food's really good. You know, yeah, I mean that's drinks. part part of PubKey's strategy too. Is like you know, yeah. have Bitcoin. What does it say? Down on your uh, delt, delt an unplayable hand. Try your luck here is one of the slogans because <laughs> the seven two is the the logo. Um, so what about I want to ask you about some of the Bitcoin dev stuff, specifically these various proposals for like a future soft fork or, or upgrade, regardless of whether. So you got Opsy TV, mm-hmm. um, you got Op Vault, you got APO. I guess you got drive chains, right? You got the, the, all of which have BIPs, right? I think all of those have pretty mm-hmm. fleshed out proposals. Um, maybe I know there's others that have proposals too, but those are the ones I feel like people are talking about a lot. Do you have any, I mean, I guess on APO vaults, uh, CTV and op vault, which all do similar types of things. Like, do you have a preference or do you have a, what, what, what between them? Uh, I like op vault in the sense that's very hyper focused takes what op CTV. So check template verify is trying to do and really narrowing it down to one particular use case, which is like vaulting functionality. Yeah spending conditions over time uh i don't know like i think we learned a lot of lessons around taproot like ordinals and inscriptions were something that many people didn't foresee right um coming to market once that got activated and that was driven by a combination of segwit and taproot uh apo seems like it's going to be very important to scale the lightning network so just off the bat that seems very intriguing to me i think the more important conversation is do we batch a bunch of these upgrades at once uh, and just try to have a long discussion and talk about the trade-offs and test the trade-offs and then yeah. get a lot in at once so we want to do it multiple times and then what is the actual activation method because that's another thing with Taproot yeah. that really <clears throat> that has really ruffled feathers is speedy trial speedy and- trial and how it was activated and yeah. I think there's a lot of discussion going on like alright there probably will be another soft fork upgrade at some point in the future do we batch a bunch of them together do we do them separately and then on top of that like how do we actually activate them right so but you but you like the idea of like vaulted spending you know, adding a oh, yeah. and all that. yeah i do too yeah, well, oh. n- but now like the emergence of mini script right it's like you don't need it as is, much is as you that you good it. enough right I, I there's obviously more that you can do with a new op code but um mini script is sick yeah and i mean i'm when rob hamilton we had rob on on this show you you've you've talked to rob multiple had rob on your stuff and and we know rob um and the team there becca and everybody else are great um but when he showed me he showed me like a like the mock-up version now he's got a, a live like alpha um, but he showed me just the mock-up of like the flow of how simple it is and like shows the output the actual script output of it's it's unbelievably powerful they just we've talked about this so our audience can go and listen to our episode with rob hamilton it was i think back in february or march um so i won't go deep into it but it does bring a lot of what you thought you needed yeah 
And that's like the big question we have. Like Bitcoin is this very important project. Like what is the trade-off of activating something else? Some unknown unknowns that could introduce something that was unforeseen that maybe does not uh, does not allow Bitcoin to be as successful or scalable or usable as we thought it would be versus like, all right, what do we have now? And that's what I think Rob does a really good job of doing in terms of bringing to the conversation. It was like, let's work with everything we have right now and yeah. see how far we can get. And then yeah. down the line, if that's not enough, maybe we start having discussions. Yeah. It's very prudent more stuff. the way he thinks about it. All right. We're, we're running late on time, but let's talk about the presidential election a well, little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, that's what I was going to say. Like in yeah. terms of like Bitcoin 2024, I right. think that's one of the interesting themes, like two months before the election, Obviously, they had a bunch of candidates at 2023. Like, do we have a presidential debate at the... I mean, it'd be fascinating. Actually, they they should. It's in between the two nominating conventions, and I don't recall which order is which, but I would hope that the Republican one is after it um, because then you could could conceivably have, like, Vivek and and Ron DeSantis, and you you could have them there. You really could. And, And, I mean, um, do you prefer, like, RFK's Bitcoinerism over... Uh, Vivex or, 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 you know, how do you think about Bitcoin in this presidential election? Uh, I'm agnostic because I'm a strong believer that Bitcoin's not like the avenue to Bitcoin success isn't through the federal government political yeah. process. Right. However, I do think it's massively beneficial that it is a campaign talking point and has shifted the Overton window where these politicians are forced to talk about Bitcoin and have thoughts and ideas around it and really think about it and then spread those ideas to others just by talking about it. Mm -hmm. So like to me, uh, not going to back any particular sort of Bitcoin stance by one individual Mm -hmm. presidential candidate. But I think in aggregate, them just being forced to talk about it and shifting the Overton window is massively beneficial. Yeah. Do you think um, the federal government or the the federal reserve uh, and ever ends up Hodling Bitcoin. I mean, they already do. Yeah. Well, they have the like what the seized Bitcoin. Yeah, they have the uh, yeah the Silk Roads and Silk the, Road, and I believe they have BTCE and Bitfinex. They have. I think they have the Bitfinex coins from Razzle Khan. You should give them back. They should give them back. I'm. Sur- I actually kind of surprised they haven't already. Um, I don't know enough about it, but I I believe they do have Razzle Khan's uh, coins. Yeah. What's <laughs> The, the best rapper of our generation. Crocodile of Wall Street. Uh, Marty, this has been awesome. Thank you so much uh, for coming to Galaxy Brain. It's great to see you here in New York, man. Alex, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thanks to our guest, Marty Bent from TFTC 1031 Rabbit Hole Recap. And of course, to Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always. And to Phineas Ellis, our great producer. Thank you, Phineas. Um, and we'll see you next week. Have a safe weekend. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.